Welcome to the Grow Through International Expansion podcast. I'm Oliver Dowson. Let me be your guide as to how businesses, all kinds of businesses, small and large, can grow, solve their business problems, increase their profits, and grow their value. In these podcasts, we talk to all sorts of interesting people that bring their skills, experience, and insights to all aspects of international expansion. I hope you like these podcasts. If you do, subscribe and keep listening every week. We love comments too. And do share and tell others and check out our resources on our growinternational.org website. I've been leading business meetings, presenting at seminars and talking into a microphone for so long that I forget how challenging public speaking is for so many people, even when it's in your native language. I was forcefully reminded, though, a few weeks ago when I was invited by a friend to join him at a workshop for public speaking in a small city in Spain. It's a regular group. There's about 30 people, all local business people. But despite being in business and presumably meeting others every day, they still feel the need benefit of building their confidence in front of others. Normally, they practice their presentations in their native Spanish. On this occasion, though, they'd created an occasion when they had to present in English, very much their second language, and not one that any of them use every day, as none have any Anglophone clients or contacts. They're just planning for the future and recognising that English is like the common business language. Anyway, not only was I reminded of the stress that even experienced business people go through when standing in front of an audience, I could clearly see and understand the additional difficulties of communicating clearly and effectively in a different language. This was a small, unthreatening group of friendly peers. All of them, except me, were also in the position of having English as a second language. So none of them could be too judgmental. I was hugely impressed by these people's courage and that the effort that they'd put into preparing their presentations and trying to get the language right. Perhaps with English as my first language, only I noticed the errors that they made. I spent a lot of time with Spaniards and others for whom English is a second language. I've employed thousands in my life, so I'm very used to common errors. I know what they really mean, so I don't correct them. So if these people were presenting to a purely British or American audience, though, sometimes I realised people would definitely get the wrong message. That made me also very conscious of my own shortcomings and the risk of my miscommunication when I have meetings and presentations in Spanish. I may not get nervous because I'm used to presenting and I may have been using the language for many years, but it's still my second language and I speak it a long, long way from perfectly. It doesn't stop me, but does everyone I speak to really understand what I mean? I had this in mind when, just a few days later, I met Susan Heaton-Wright. Through her company, Superstar Communicator, she helps business people communicate more clearly and effectively. She's developed courses and training tools to help native English speakers improve their confidence and clarity and how to avoid getting misunderstood when speaking with people from other nations. Susan also spends a lot of her time running other courses to help non-native speakers of English 
communicate well. The subject of language and communication fits in really neatly with my recent podcast discussing how to adapt to the business culture in other countries. If you haven't heard it, do take in a listen. It's really good. If we're to be successful in international business, we need to both understand the other culture and be sure that what we say is properly understood. So here's my conversation with Susan. Susan, welcome to the Growth Through International Expansion podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, So you're a superstar communicator. That's right. Allegedly. <laughs> well, in your own allegation, <laughs> yes. I think. Yeah. Okay, so tell, tell us about superstar communication, about communication in general, and its relevance to international business. Oh, the business language is English, whether we like it or not. That's the way that the world works globally. And I'm fortunate, we are fortunate enough to have been born as with English as our native tongue. Absolutely. Sometimes I'm embarrassed by that. Yeah, me too. But, but of course, for people who don't speak English as their, their mother tongue, their first language, that can be a bit of a challenge because they've got to not only learn the vocabulary, but the nuances around the language in order to make sure they're not misunderstood, that they make an impact and they can do business to the best of their ability. Well, this communication is so important. Uh, I mean, in a recent podcast, I was talking with somebody else about the importance of culture. Yes. Um, and we didn't really hinge onto language, but obviously language is a hugely important thing. It is. And yes, we live in a world with technology. We're doing a podcast which will be online. However, we're human beings. And it's the human interaction that builds trust. We're looking at each other, we've got eye contact, we're building trust between us. Mm. And hearing the human voice as opposed to an email or an electronic bot voice, um, that is the way that you're going to build trust and business relationship with others, particularly for people from other cultures and other sides of the world. It's you being human that's going to move the business forward. Right. Everyone sort of starts somewhere and everyone gets thrust in the first place into um, a, a good confrontational situation. You know, it's uh, like a, everyone gets sent to their first business meeting and so on their own and told you have to communicate with this person. Even salesmen have to start somewhere. But I've met plenty of salespeople who've been doing it for years and they're still nervous about working in another country or visiting another place. Um, What would you recommend for overcoming that? It's all in the preparation. So if you can find out as much as you can about the people you're going to meet, uh, perhaps get some advice locally. So you and I live in the United Kingdom and we have the option that we can go to the local um, embassy, British embassy and there is a, um, a corporate side that will be able to give you advice, maybe cultural advice, but there might be some contacts. It might be, if you're, if you're wanting to pay, that somebody from the embassy would accompany you. Right. 
Sure. Um, I, uh, the Department for International Trade tries to encourage a lot of export business. Yes. Not necessarily the other way around, of course, but... Uh, <laughs> we need everything um, we... Um, but uh, that doesn't really get you into... That, that might help with the culture. It doesn't really sort of no. help with the actual language or what to say, does it? Because these people, I mean, however good they are, and they are very good and very well-intentioned, um, they're not teachers. No, they're not. However, they might have had some experience of just working alongside local business people and they will have picked up some advice. So, for example, one of my target countries in future is India. Now, it just so happens that from DIT, the um, person that's helping me with digital is from India Mm -hmm. and he's given me a huge amount of advice. Yes. that I've been able to take on board, um, which has been invaluable. Absolutely. So give me some, uh, let's cover some examples of what British people can do wrong. I hasten to add that, you know, about half our audience is outside the UK, yes. so there are other countries, but it's the same problem for everybody. And of course, they have the problem when they come here. Um, but what sorts of things do people get wrong? Tell us some stories. Oh. Yes. Where do I start? We all know those those are British people abroad that shout at everybody in English and expect everybody to understand them. And if people don't understand them, they just speak louder and faster. We have to be aware that other people might not speak English very well or confidently. They might be a little bit nervous. Um, double-checking with the other person that they understand what you've said because you don't want there to be misunderstandings that further down the line result in stress. But really being mindful of the fact that the people around you might not speak English as well as they think they do or as well as you think they do. Right. And, of course, that can actually lead to misunderstandings of course the other way it around, can. can't it? And it's disrespectful. Mm. So as an English-speaking person, we should think about slowing down our speech so that they can really, really take on board what we're saying. But some good pauses. Without. Not that slow. Right. Um, but with right. some good pauses... Um, really being aware of our facial expressions and our body language so that we're not causing there to be um, mis-messages going on, confusions. And also double-checking that the other person understands, but not in a derogatory way or patronising way, just to say, do you understand, do you want me to explain that again? Right, sure. And I guess that's sort of not necessarily considered so... How do you, how, how do you, you, know, you, you teach people what to do or you encourage people to, you, you help to explain the things they will go wrong? Where do you begin? In fact, I tend to speaking, train people who speak English as their non-mother tongue. Right. So it's the almost the other way around. So they have already got a good grasp of English, but this is what I would call executive business English. So it's a type of elocution. In a way, yes. I don't like using that word, though. It sounds very 1950s, doesn't it? (laughs) It probably comes from my coming from a family of school teachers where... (laughs) (laughs) But it does sound old-fashioned, but that's basically what it is. Accent softening. Right. And uh, the people that I work with, they 
already do quite a bit of speaking in English, but for whatever reason, their English isn't that easy to understand. And I believe that it's all about speaking English and that it's easy for other people to understand you. So for um, some of my clients, we will do some specific work on sounds, of course, if there are particular sounds that are difficult for them to make because the sound isn't in their own native language. So they've got to get used to the lips and the tongue and the teeth moving in a slightly different direction. But also coming up with some strategies, such as pauses, putting emphasis on certain words in the sentence. Mm. Because then again, if we think of, let's say, French, that's what I call a very linear language. The words just flow out, but there isn't any emphasis on a certain word. Whereas in the English language, there are we, we almost bold and underline a couple of words every sentence. And some of the other words, they're almost incidental. Right. And that can help the other person, to un- the, the English-speaking person, to understand what you're saying. But if it all comes out in blah, 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 um, it's much more difficult to tune in to what somebody's saying. Okay, that's interesting. So, essentially, you should sort of, um, you should sort of think of their sentence in advance and think, what would I underline? Yes, um, and maybe you're doing it on a conscious level at first, but over time, you it just sinks in and it becomes subconscious. Well, sure. Um, so if we compare a couple of languages, I don't speak Mandarin, but listening to people who speak Mandarin as their first language, that it is, you know, it's there straight out. Yes, it's, it's largely, um, I don't speak it either, it's incomprehensible to me, and it's very, it's very sing-songy, isn't yes. it? Yes! Very, very high-pitched. Yes, but, if you, but quite often my clients will speak English with that same sing-song and high pitch. Understood, yes. And I, certainly I struggle, I highly respect these people because mm. they're speaking English, but um, I can't tune in to what they're saying. Mm. So coming up with some other strategies can help them to, to actually present the best version of themselves because people are able to engage with their conversation. Right. Yeah. For those of us who are English speakers, you know, being faced with sort of having meetings with uh, people for whom English is not a first language, uh, you've, got to have, you've got to have a lot of tolerance for language differences and for somebody speaking in another language and I I sometimes go to meetings with other people where you know the English speaker is not really accepting that the person who comes from another country is having difficulty it's more very it's effectively intolerant they wouldn't like to be told that well you can see my facial expression hearing that yes, uh, our audience yeah. can't. The, the audience <laughs> can't but I, I can you know we're human beings these these people that you're talking about that don't speak English as their native tongue, they have done loads to step up, learn a different language. The average English person is so lazy about foreign languages. Mm, mm. And the very least we can do is to make it as easy as possible for other people to speak English, in my opinion. Sure. And particularly within a business context. Mm. If you're wanting to do business with them and, and you're, you, you're getting short-tempered because they they can't get the right English language out, the business relationship is not going to go very far. Sure. In my opinion. Yeah. So are there 
any nationalities or speakers of specific languages that have particular difficulty in communicating in English? That's a really big question. Um, there are loads and loads of languages. I don't know all of them, and I haven't worked with clients um, from all of these That's different sure. languages, of course. Um, it is an interesting one because the, with Mandarin, there is a particular rhythm to it, whereas, say, some of the um, Eastern European languages, yes. such as Ukrainian, Russian, they are they can to an English ear sound quite aggressive which is which is not the case at all but just because of the delivery and possibly the um, the facial expressions that go with that that can cause a misunderstanding and it's due to just cultural differences the way that people speak things and and use gestures as part of part of their non-verbal communication. Well, of course, gestures are a big thing, aren't they? Gestures are a huge thing. And, and for some people, the facial, typically your English man um, or, or woman, we have smaller facial expressions. If you think of mm-hmm. Roger Moore and um, James Bond, you know, he, he'd just lift up one eyebrow and that, that was major acting for him. Um, <laughs> Whereas for some... Oscar for best raised eyebrow. Yeah, whereas for, for some cultures, you, you know, the whole face and the, the uh, you know, lots of gestures with the arms are part of, of communi- communicating. Yeah, because of course we talk about that being for the Italians, you know, but it's actually many, many nationalities. <laughs> yeah, I was going to mention the Italians... And, and it, it, it's, part of, it's part of the culture, it's part of the joy of meeting an Italian person mm. that, they, that they just go for. It's brilliant. But I've got it wrong, you know, myself in just going to another English-speaking country. I've got it wrong going to the United States. Yes. Because I, I, I used to be um, castigated by um, someone I worked with there in the U.S., um, for in the old days of presentations when you did them from slide projectors I, and we did, didn't have sort of light pens I used to point at the screen but apparently I pointed with sort of the wrong fingers really? apparently yeah so you know Oops. you don't think, think about things being different you know I didn't, don't think I lost any business as no. a result but you know it was, it, was, it was regarded as a matter you know at least of levity in those situations but you know it's there are obviously going to be times that it's not and if you're not known to the audience then of course you can definitely be seen to be getting it wrong yes and I suppose in that situation if somebody pointed that out to you you could make a, a quick joke oh the Englishman abroad sure um, I hope I didn't sorry I hope I didn't offend anybody mm-hmm. here's my pen now yeah <laughs> yes um, and I, I think one has to sort of get used to doing those sorts of things yes well. um the, the other thing that strikes me from my experience of, uh, I mean, I've spent my life working with people from other countries. Um, I uh, almost, to the, or sometimes almost to the exclusion of anybody from this country. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I, I can certainly see national traits as well. But uh, something that I've actually seen create a business problem, but I've never seen any specific training for it at the time. I used to do, even attempt to do my own when I ran a business in Brazil. 
uh, where they actually learn really, really good quality English. It's very clear. They're ab absolutely first class. I mean, you can put them on a call center operation, absolutely fine. No one would know. Um, except that I can tell you a Brazilian at 100 paces because they'll misuse prepositions. And there are some, and I can't think of them right this minute, where um, you can actually generate a completely different meaning by using at instead of in or for. How do you get over things like this? There must be more, many more examples in your experience. Oh, absolutely. And, and one thing that I find quite challenging is when somebody speaks English as their native tongue, but it's very heavily accented. Oh, yeah. Now that could be regional within the United Kingdom. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you know, yes. I'm from Birmingham. There are people I cannot understand from Birmingham, and and the a very thick Glaswegian accent. Mm. Um, and I think if you if you speak with a very strong accent, you need to be self aware that if your audience isn't from Glasgow or isn't from Birmingham. Um, then you perhaps need to soften your accent to make it as easy as possible again for other people to understand you. But there are countries of the world where English is the... There are people who speak English as their native tongue. There are parts of India where people speak English as their, their first language. Mm. But it's so heavily accented and the rhythm is completely different. Um, Singapore is another country and... The actual use of business English isn't quite right. It doesn't, it, it doesn't sit quite right. And that is often quite a challenge to, to say to somebody, actually, I believe that you could really have a little bit of help with some accent so um, softening, just to understand the rhythm of the language a little bit mm -hmm. better so that you'd make more impact. Right. So how do you go about training people these days? How is how, how has this progressed? I mean, when I was younger and I knew something about this, not a lot, so I hasten to add, um, the, the biggest thing was to actually get the syllables pronounced correctly. So it was like sheep or sheet or sheep yes. or where we were. Go there. Um, and the, the French uh, have a problem uh, with that. And was, this is the Spanish. And the, yeah. so, and the solution <laughs> was to keep repeating she sells seashells by the seashore yeah. <laughs> um, or Peter Piper picked a Yes. There must be something better than this by now. Do you know, there is nothing wrong with those things. Repet One of the things about new sounds that people have to learn, and it goes back to when I was a singer, because I used to be an opera singer. Oh, did you? Didn't you realise? No, oh, I didn't realise. Oh, my goodness. Wheel back slightly. I used to be a professional opera singer, so oh, I nice. had to learn different languages. So, in a way, I, w I was very tuned to the rhythm of the different languages course I had the music to help with that if I was speaking in that mm -hmm. in that language but became aware of the pronunciation having to work really hard at them um, because there were sounds that were not part of the English language that I obviously had to sing sure even things like German the R is is very far back in the mouth the R instead of R, R. yes singing it must be incredibly yes yeah, so you have to modify things so I became very aware of that and and also studied out in Italy I was blessed enough to have um, a, a scholarship from the Italian government to study out in Italy well, which great. was a huge honor um, but I was studying in Italian and my Italian wasn't very good so 
I understand exactly the same way as those people who speak English as their non-mother tongue, what it feels like and the things that you do, such as panicking, starting to speak really fast and then nobody understands you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but getting back to the, que- the question, because I've, I've gone away from it. Don't worry. Um, the, all of those sounds, if it's new to your body, if it's new to your mouth and lips and teeth, and tongue, um, you have to keep practicing it so that the muscle memory can kick in. So practicing those different sounds, those specific sounds, um, as a th for the French, Mm. um, lots of different ones. Also the vowel sounds, because people often forget about the vowels in English. Um, Having that repetition, um, tongue twisters, of course, Mm. Then um, I do quite a bit of work on perhaps conversation. Right. And we do little competitions and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I make it fun. But essentially, you still have to keep practicing those things. It's almost like learning a violin. You've got to keep practicing those things, unfortunately. Well, I I mean, I can understand it. I mean, maybe I'm just too lazy. I mean, I have to speak Spanish but half my life. And... um, I, I still can't get rolled R's. Do you know, it, it's interesting what you're saying about that, because my husband can't roll his R either, and I'm not sure if it's a genetic thing. I hope, I hope, it, I hope there's some good excuse for it, because I I've think, been trying for 40 years and I failed. <laughs> I think it is a genetic thing. I, I, I've got as far as picking different words that don't have R's in them <laughs> in order to actually get around things going, instead of making the excuse. Uh, you know, instead of say, trying to say energy saving, ahorro energético, Spanish, I say economia ambiental, because it comes out better. <laughs> that's so funny. But uh, you've got to pick things like that. So yeah, it, it, that's, uh, that's really quite something. So... Um, what made you switch away from opera singing? When I had my son, um, you know, it's very difficult combining a career oh, okay. like that. It, um, you're like an athlete. You've got to be completely physically and mentally fit. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't... I, I felt, when I went back, I felt that I was never as well prepared as I had been before. And that knocks your confidence. So in the end, I thought, you know what? I don't know why I'm doing this. Let's, let's, you know, let's stop. Much well, to the, uh, I, there were a number of people that were very cross with me, but it was the best for my family. There you go. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so tell me your, what, what you're doing now. How does your, how's your approach work? Who are you, who are you training? How are you doing it? I see, you know, you've got a website. So how do you help people through an app? Well, with the app, you have access to some online courses. Right. You can also, what, one of the services that I have for the accent softening is that I offer a five-session um, five course, one-to-one, for people all over the world. And there are also a couple of courses that you can access via the app. Mm-hmm. You can access my podcast, Superstar Communicator, which has got lots of little hints. And a number of my clients, the funny thing is, they listen to my podcast because they want to hear the intonation of the English language, which I had not thought of. I think, in fact, that's a great example because 
podcasts, radio programs, yes. television. This is how people learn the right accent. Definitely. And if you go to countries which have relatively small populations, um, the children learn English and perfect, perfectly spoken English through watching kids' TV. Before they can read the subtitles, they know how to actually yes. read the language. So it covers true across the whole Scandinavia, even countries like Portugal, um, where they don't dub the programmes. They just subtitle them instead. So, and of course, so listening is great. So I decided to have, when I internationalised my company, I decided to have an app as an access builder. Um, in the United Kingdom there are more people that have smartphones than Android but in other parts of the world I did a bit of research mm. and Android is the preferred. Yeah I think uh, in the world as a whole Android wins. Yes. So and even here you can see competing statistics that suggest one thing or another. In terms of new phones being sold it's definitely more Android than. So that's more people that mm. are going to be able to access your app or my app which there is fantastic. Go. Absolutely yes. <laughs> but I decided to have an app as well as the website mm-hmm. because if um, I go and speak I create a little folder with additional resources that people can access but also if I'm doing some um, training work internally I will also create a little folder but that's a secret one so I mm. ooh, so that secret I folders. <laughs> so that um, <laughs> I, my client you bought a course from me but I can't tell you what it is because it's a secret <laughs> <laughs> no but say for example I'm working with a client actually uh, four people who speak English as their non-mother tongue um, and I have a special folder. Now, the client and I can double check who's accessing the material, which is much better. Right, okay, yeah, that I can see. Um, so it, it has been a really useful thing, and I believe that this will be a platform in the future that people use to mm. access information, and um, for you and I, as a business owners, to be able to access easily to more people. Everybody's got a phone. Not everybody has a, a yeah, laptop. Absolutely, and fewer and fewer. Most yes. Switching towards phones or handheld devices. Yes. One kind or another. Um, do you find that, uh, do people get sent to you or do they come voluntarily? Um, I ask because I think, I wonder how many, how often you find that people are sort of assume their English is good enough. Um, or you know, are, are sort of too proud to improve it. They probably wouldn't want to say in exactly those words, but essentially that's what it boils down to. Yeah, that is a really, really interesting thing because the the people, the four people that I'm working with at this corporate organisation, um, they were all identified as being talented, but there was something stopping from them moving up the ladder. Um, they were very client-facing, so needed English um, to be spoken in such a way that customers could could understand mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And in every case, because I always do a, a little survey beforehand, every single one of them said, I've tried really hard with my English. I'm so relieved that somebody's giving me some support. And those four people apparently have been saying to HR, we feel very valued, we feel really privileged that we're getting this training. So I think that from an HR or L&D point of view, Uh to be able to say something to a particular individual or, or a group of people 
there is this service available in a very respectful way. We actually, we actually value you and we believe that you could be even better. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually you'll get real um, traction with that, with employees. Good. That's my experience. And is that your experience at sort of a, at all, all employment levels? Um, the reason I ask is I'm still still reminded of um, a couple of individuals who um, thought that because they were sort of relatively senior managers in their organisation that they must be doing it all right. Um, and they were possibly the, the people in the organisation who spoke worse. Um, there's also a culture in uh, some countries, um, South Korea springs to mind, Japan would be another one, um, and probably is prevalent across the Far East, where the younger employees and therefore the more junior ones tend to have quite good English, whereas the senior ones speak hardly any or very little. Um, and you, know, you go to a meeting in a room where you have you know, the boss and his subordinates and his subordinate and his subordinate. But the trouble is, as the more senior people arrive, the more junior ones clam up. Um, so communication actually grinds to a halt during the course of a meeting. Um, and then I've actually been brave enough to ask um, some of these people, um, why don't you allow your colleague to explain? Um, and they look very confused and the colleague keeps looking, is shaking his head oh. and saying, no, 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 no. <laughs> Um, so I just wonder, you know, if, if it, because this, this sort of needs to pervade the organisation, doesn't it? I think it does. And in that situation, I haven't been in that situation. I have not gone to the Far East yet. Mm. Um, I do plan to do that. Um, my gut feeling would almost be to suggest that one of the younger members translated and to perhaps build that up, which is a shame. Um, but if, if I was going in... Yes. And to say, look, you know, I, I really, really want to understand what you're saying. And uh, I believe that, that it's quite a challenge for you. I want the best from, from this conversation altogether. Mm. And by the way, we can work together afterwards. I, I, w- I would like <laughs> to think that would work. But I, but think, you know, the, I think you're going to yeah. have this problem with this age respect yes. thing. I mean, you know, maybe now I'm sort of in one sense, it's you know, I almost quite... Quite glad, you know. I suppose I can sort of feel honoured to be old and being tre- treated well. On the yes. other hand, you know, I actually much rather defer to younger colleagues wherever possible. But that's in my culture, our culture. It's very different over there. Yes. Um, do you have to adopt a different approach for language training, dependent on the original language? of the individual. I mean, you mentioned earlier Eastern Europeans, so Russia and, um, and Ukraine, for example. Would you take a different approach to those people than you would to Indian people, which you also yes, mentioned? I, yes, I would, because I think that there are cultural differences anyway, and there would be a difference between male and female as well, mm. particularly with somewhere like India. I've worked with male and female clients from the Indian subcontinent, and there is a massive difference. So how does that fit with having pre-recorded materials on your website and your app? They can still use the pre-recorded materials Absolutely. regardless, but for you know, tuning you need a tailored approach? or I believe so. You, you know, if you want the best, you, you, if you want a lovely suit, for example, you go to the best 
a tailor to have mm. it handmade, but you might want something from Marks and Spencers that you know, one fit all. Mm. Um, yes, there are exercises and courses that you can purchase from my app or the website that are a reminder. They're a taster. They provide some information and some exercises to start refining your English. Um, but of course, if you want more, um, there are more tailored approaches. So, for example, I'm able to deliver webinars. I'm CPD accredited for my webinars. So if there are people from, say, Singapore or India who are wanting or even a team that are wanting to improve their English language speaking, that is something that I can deliver and they can get CPD points for their professional yeah. development. Um, but a senior person, more senior person, or somebody moving into a senior role um, or a leadership role might want something that's really tailored specifically for them. Right, I can understand that. And, and it's like that with most services. Mm. Well, it's a fascinating topic, and I've really enjoyed our conversation, Susan. Thank you so much for joining me here on Growth Through International Expansion. Um, to those of you in the audience, those of you who feel interested in what Susan's had to say, you can find full details on the webpage on growinternational.org. Just click on Podcasts, find the uh, page for this article um, for this podcast and you'll find the all the details there um, together with some um, various thoughts of my own on uh, it, why getting the language right is so critical to successful international business. So Susan, thank you again and uh, good luck with your, uh, your wonderful business. Thank you very much Superstar for having communicator. me. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to this conversation and this podcast. I really welcome your comments and also suggestions for future conversations. We post new content every week, so please do click on the subscribe button and follow this, the Growth Through International Expansion podcast. You can also find the transcript, other articles and detailed resources relating to this episode on our website, growinternational.org. There, you can also join as a member for future updates and find all our other articles, videos and podcasts and benefit from other features, including free consultations and independent online advice. Again, that's www.growinternational.org. Until next time, this is Oliver Dowson wishing you success and reminding you that international expansion may be easier than you may think.